This episode was recorded in an empty elevator shaft. Please enjoy the episode's airtight sound quality. This week, The Swimmer, 1968, directed by Frank Perry. We got Burt Lancaster as Ned Merrill. And, you know, I know Burt Lancaster from that one scene from here to eternity, you know, on the beach where he's rolling around. Anyway, I'm Kevin Nikolai. We got... Raphael Massadet. And... John Riley. And Hi, Kevin. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. It's hot today. Today, we're talking The Swimmer on The Clueless Critic. Um... Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Great to be here. Good, good. Uh, so this rumor tells the story of a guy swimming home through a line of private and public schools back to his house. Uh, this surreal drama is based on the John Cheever 1964 short story of the same name called The Swimmer. Um, Frank Perry often seemed to work on films based on short stories or novellas, including A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. Um, so this week, this film was chosen by Raphael Marcinet. Mm -hmm. So Raphael, why did you choose this? Uh, because I, was, I saw this film quite a while ago. I can't remember what led me to watch it. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Burt Lancaster fan or anything like that. I'd never heard of Frank Perry at the time. Something led me to watch it. Um, and I, yeah, I was just really captivated by it. I just, I fell in love with it straight away. Mm. I, I kind of love this movie. I've watched it quite a few times. Um, it's, uh, it's, it has a, 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 to me, a beautiful kind of feel about it, a wistful kind of atmosphere about it. Um, I also think I've got a, a kind of liking for late 60s cinema there's something about late yeah, 60s 1968 movies. here we are again it, it's a great year yeah and, and I, I was looking at it in fact i have to stop myself from a couple of choices for our neck one of our future clueless critics uh. choosing films and i'm like oh it's 1968 again another <laughs> right. one 1968 what am i doing so i've got to i've got to get myself away from 1968 might have been a good year i don't know but there's something about the mood the, the mood of the film and um I think I'm a bit of a sucker for... It's not a play. It was a short story originally, like you said. But it feels almost like a play, a filmed play sometimes, in that each swimming pool is like a little sort of set piece, like a scene. And I'm a bit of a sucker for filmed plays. Mm. I know a lot of people don't like those, but right. I, I kind of like them sometimes. Yeah, so there's a lot about this film um, that I really like. I love the way that... It's kind of a mystery in a way, you know, mm. who is Ned Merrill, where's he from, what's he doing, what's going on? And uh, as he as he makes his trek, as you said, from, from pool to pool across the valley, um, you slowly learn uh, a little bit more about him each time. You never get a full explanation. Mm. You never get a, a very clear um, you know, here's what happened right, exactly. Right, right. It's never given to you like that. But you are able to piece together, I think, enough to understand uh, something like what must have happened mm -hmm. for him to be at the state that he's in. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, towards his own realisation, I suppose, mm -hmm. of his own mm -hmm. reality, which mm -hmm. he seems to be a bit delusional about right, or right. having forgotten yeah. or, or something. Yeah. yeah. They really play with that, like, 
like uh, is he mentally ill yeah. is he just is he kind of just doing this on his own is he telling him the story to himself yeah like how much is this uh, just to protect the status and the ego it's yeah. really interesting to figure out where it is that he knows what's happening yeah i think yeah what's your take on it john um well <clears throat> i uh good question I maybe it didn't grab me in the same kind of immediate visceral way that it grabbed you, Raphael. But mm. this is such a uh, I'd never seen it before. Mm. I think I'd kind of seen it pop up once or twice on the internet, you know, in lists of people's favorite films. But I didn't really know anything about it. Um, and it's just you kind of think this is an outlier, don't you? You're mm. talking about all the great. I was looking at other nineteen sixty eight films, and we had two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. Mm. Um, Planet of the Apes and these kind of dystopian science fiction that was perhaps obliquely commenting on what was going on in America at that time, the mm. unrest and all that kind of stuff. And here's this film about this guy swimming across suburban Connecticut. But at the same time, it's just really ambiguous, isn't it? Even before it starts to get weird, there's just this atmosphere of something is weird here, you know, something... Mm. Uh, Something that you perhaps more associate with, like David Lynch in the eighties and early nineties, this idyllic, sub seemingly idyllic suburban rural right. kind of place, and there's something weird going on underneath mm -hmm. it. So I just couldn't really, I don't know anything about John Cheever, for example, and or really this world. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I actually had was about this suburb because it's not what I would call a suburb. It's not even what I think of as an American suburb. Right, right. That's a, that's a separate question. <laughs> right. But it just seemed like this really ambiguous film. Are they trying to make a kind of European-style Ingmar Bergman art film just in this kind of swell world where everyone drinks martinis and walks around in trunks? Is that kind of what they were going for? Mm -hmm. If you watched it superficially, you mm. might just think that it was almost like mm. an episode of Dynasty or something. But then when you mm. actually sit down and watch it, you see how ambiguous and strange it is. So it's a really interesting film, I think. Mm. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's obviously a sort of, there's a critique on middle class or upper middle class American society in there as well. I mean, the, superfi the superficiality of some of the people right. and the materialism of some of the people, including Ned's, Ned himself. Um, for me, it's like, I, I really, I really appreciated the sort of the slow unraveling Mm -hmm. or the little hints from pool to pool. Right. You know what I mean? So um, it, at the very first pool, for instance, there's, there's not much to go on at the very first pool. He, he, we, we begin with Ned. He runs out of the woods in his swimming trunks and he just dives into a swimming pool. And we're thinking, well, what's, what's this? Is it, is it his own house or what's going on? You realise straight away that it's, it's not his house. He's shown up at some people's... Uh, home, but they know him and they greet him in a friendly manner. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, they're old friends and stuff and he's very quite flirty with the woman who, who lives there. But they've had, they've had a party the night before. Right. To which he wasn't invited. Right, right. Um, if, although apparently he's such a good friend and he lives nearby. Um, and... Uh, all you get, I think, at that very first pool is a few sort of quizzical looks on people's faces mm. um, when he mentions his wife and he talks about going home and things like that. Right. And that's the first little clue you get. 
And then when he, when he, when he makes the realisation that I think they announced that somebody's put a new pool in, I think it was the Grahams, the Grahams have put a new pool in. And so he realises, oh, if the Grahams have got a pool, then that means every property in between here and my home now has a pool, mm -hmm. including the public pool. And he lists, he goes through, yeah. you know, he lists the, the Grahams and the, uh, the, the Gilmartins and the Lears and whatever. And then he gets to a point after the Biswangers, he says, oh, oh, who's next after the Biswangers? I've gone blank, I've gone blank. And the woman um, whose house it is in a very sort of telling manner says, Shirley Abbott. Mm -hmm. And in a sort of way that's a little bit portentous. Right. And that's the one of the few hints at that first house that something's a bit, something's funny right. going on, you know. Right. And then he goes to the next pool, and it's he meets that that lady there, and it seems that he'd had a, you know, he'd had a crush on her. Um, and then she suggests that he'd been, he'd been less than kind to her. Now husband. Right. Right. Howard. And so you learn a little bit about Ned and his character, maybe. He was a bit vindictive or something. And then he goes to the next and he's greeted with outright hostility by the, the elderly lady who lives there. And you discover that he didn't, he didn't visit her son when he was in hospital. Right, right. She's really angry with him. Yeah. So you, you, little bit by bit, you start to learn something about Ned and... Um, and whether whether he's a good guy or not, you know, and uh, I think I think it's really interesting the way that that unravels mm -hmm. from from pool to pool, yeah. And I guess the climax is the scene at at, at Shirley Abbott, right? Shirley right. Abbott's house, yeah, which we'd been set up for at the very beginning. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's something that uh, that I wanted to go back to that John said about the suburbs like not looking anything like an American suburb. Mm. That was kind of my take on it too. Cause it was, they were like so big, yeah. the, the, the yards yeah. that my impression was, well, these aren't just like rich people. These are like the mega rich. Yeah. And so it was kind of weird when they like, Oh, there's a public pool and there's like poor people in this yeah. suburb too. Cause it didn't feel like, it just felt but, like the craziest, richest, hugest suburb in that, America. That's on of. the other side of the highway. Right, right. It's across the highway. That's across that. Route 4, 424. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. on the other side where they those people are. True. Um, I don't think of it in terms of the suburbs. I thought of it in terms of a bit of a level, like you said, a level up from that yeah, economically. Yeah. This, is, this is elite. Right. These are the rich folk. And this right. Is, these are their country properties in a, in a valley in Connecticut. You know? Yeah. One of them's got a, a, a riding ring. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, the Bizwangers have a, a giant sort of arch over their swimming pool for their pool party, you know. Right. Um, these are pretty fancy folk. But when I heard the... I think it's because when I read the, what the premise was before I had watched it, oh. I kind of imagined... Um, I just really watched Edward Scissorhands. Oh. I kind of imagined oh, that wow. kind of suburb. Right. And he would almost be swimming in the pool and getting out and hopping over the fence right. and swimming in the pool and hopping right. over right, the fence. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I read the short yeah. story, that they were, like, closer together. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. yeah. Because it's not... It's... That that kind of journey might make sense as a kind of weird hobby to yourself. Right, yeah. right. But when you've got to walk a couple of miles between each pool, <laughs> yeah. you're not really swimming home, are you? Right, right. You're walking home and occasionally <laughs> dipping he, in some water. Yeah. He, he, he uses the word portaging in the film. Mm. 
um, which I had to look up. And portaging literally means if you're canoeing, for example, and you hit uh, an area where you can't canoe any further, you hit like rocks or, or a dry riverbed or something, you pick up your canoe and you walk with it to the next part where you can oh, yeah, travel yeah, yeah. by water. Um, the short story too makes more of, he, he christens it the Lucinda Stream right. in the short story. And in the movie, he calls it the Lucinda River, I think. Right, right. Um, the story makes a, a clearer mention of that. Well, one of the weird things about this short story that I think I picked up on is she's there. Yeah. She's in the first, yeah. at the first party. She's at the party. At yeah. The, at the... There's something, there's still something weird going on where, with their kid, with their kids, where that's yes. like referenced and you're like, yeah. oh, what the heck happened with their kids? Something bad. And it's not yeah. being like directly. He's got four with... daughters in the story right. as well. Yeah. But his wife just happens to be at the first party. Yeah, <laughs> and he just leaves her. <laughs> and in the story too, a lot um, the swimming pools are brushed over very quickly. Right, right. He he owned like first four or five of them. It just yeah. mentions he goes there, he swims, then goes to the next one, swims. So it was, I guess, Eleanor Perry who wrote mm. the screenplay who right. elaborated all that. Yeah, I think actually, it was a short. It was a short, short story, very like twelve short pages. Story, yeah. So there was a lot to add. And I remember this because I read this in freshman year in Miss Tuminia's class when I was a ninth grader. And the only thing that really stuck out to me was the nudists mm. and like how he just kind of follows their rules, like mm. removes his shorts, mm. goes in the water. That Maybe, was the same. Pretty yeah, much in that the... was that was the same in the short in the movie. Yeah, mm. that was it. Was, he yeah he follows the same kind of rules. But that's what that's what I remembered the mm. most. I forgot about the ending. Yeah. The ending like yeah. hits you a lot harder in the movie. Like it's so obvious like what's happening yeah. to him. And I think the ending's actually a little bit close to the story too, in a way. Yeah. It's quite sudden in the story. Yeah. But like you said, it hits you more there. It's drama dramatized. Right. Dramatized? Dramatized more in the in the movie. But in the story, yeah, he does he arrives home and it's it's bro- it's broken down. I mean it's decrepit mm-hmm. and uh he can't get in, he's pounding on the door and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um the the nudists, I think, is the scene in the movie where you first learn about financial problems. Yeah, something something's hinted, yeah. hinted there. Like they're they're having like a big gala or something. Are they the ones having no, a gala? No, oh, the nudists are just sitting around in their backyard. Oh right, right, and, right. Um, and he, um... <laughs> I love those nudists, by the way. Yeah, because they're, they're like they're complaining funny. about their yeah. family, like their children won't bring yeah. the grandkids over, <laughs> and they're like yes. going, "Oh, those yes, those stupid kids. They're raising them all wrong, not to be nudists like us." They're close to in the story too, because yeah, in the yeah. story he says that people accuse them of being communists, but they're not communists, but they kind of enjoy pretending that they're communists yeah, or yeah. seeming like communists. Yeah, that's and they funny. make a comment like that in the film too. Yeah. Um, I think if you walked around naked in the Soviet Union, you would have gotten in trouble quite quickly. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, that probably yes. didn't fly so well. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they didn't know that in Connecticut. Right. <laughs> well, my question, I guess, then, is... Well, I have so many questions about this film, but yeah. you, we said you, you mentioned that kind of critique of the middle class earlier uh, and so on, but that's presumably who's watching this film, right? Is it those kind of people sitting in the original audience watching themselves getting roasted? Hmm. Because, I mean, it's a film that asks you to identify. It's not telling you that Ned is a wonderful, flawless guy. It's showing you that he's very strange and weird and 
but it's kind of putting you in his place isn't it not in the the place of the people whose lives that he's messed up very much apart from mm. apart from the um his ex-mistress who he goes to see yeah it's not it's not really putting us in those people's position it's asking us a thing to identify with him through a lot of it yeah but i think it, i think that unravels as it goes it starts that way but yeah like you said shirley abbott quite overtly but then there is the scene with the mother of the the, the son that he didn't visit in the hospital we can mm. sort of empathise with her. Sure. And there's also the four people, the two couples he meets at the public pool as well. Right. Who I think we can, we can empathise with as well. And I think that's when we start to, you start to realise that Ned's not, not a good guy. Right. Um, they play a neat trick on, with you on that because in the very first scene, they show you Burt Lancaster and he's got a good body, right? Yeah. He, like, especially compared to the other old yeah. guy, you know. Yes. And like the, he, the all the old fat guy mentions it. Oh, I can't I can't compete yeah. with that. And you're seeing this beautiful, ridiculous millionaire kind of home. Yeah. And and like your thought of the tone is like it's almost too cheerful. It's almost yes. too pleasant. Yes. Like the attitude is like, look how fucking rich we are yeah. in this world grade. Yes. You know. So it's so like when that tone shift happens, yeah. like oh, it's it, it's fun and it takes you on a real tone shift that isn't upset. It it isn't upset. It doesn't irritate me. Like, mm. a lot of times in a movie, when a tone shifts, mm. I don't like it. But this mm. one, I feel like I got pulled in in a fun way. It's gradual. Like, yeah, like how much, oh, yeah, this guy looks handsome and pretty and his yeah. first friends like him. But yeah. let's, let's take a little look deep at this yeah. little world that this guy comes from. And his condition starts to deteriorate as the yeah, film yeah. goes as well. Yeah, yeah. He has a scene where he becomes cold. Right. Um, after, the, after the incident at the Bizwangers over the hot dog cart where he gets yeah. pushed down. He's actually injured after that. Right, right. And he's sort of limping from that point on. Yeah. And then there's a sort of... Then there's a scene at the freeway. Yeah. Where, I don't know if you noticed, but a kid throws something at Yeah, the something. Yeah. That was great. That's yeah, such like a that. moment when yeah. it changes. That yeah. felt like the film Gummo, the 90s yes, film right. Gummo, where he's right. suddenly in this Harvey derelict... Corrine. Yes. Yeah. He's suddenly in this derelict highway and there are kind yeah. of kids throwing things at yeah. him. And it just... It, it changed everything. I loved that moment. Yeah. I kind of wondered when I watched it if that was um, intended or if it just happened that they're filming it next to a freeway and some rogue kid, some bratty kid goes by and throws something at him. Look at these people filming and he throws something at him. But it is actually in the story. Right, right, In the right. story it says that he's getting harangued by yeah. the cars going past, getting teased by everybody. I think being John Malkovich is a callback to that. Think of where Malkovich gets whacked on oh, the head on the right. side just of the freeway. Just yeah. after he comes out of the, um, yeah. the, the pipe. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Where he gets dumped out. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, he, he... And then after after he leaves the public pool, too, he's running through those bushes where the, the, the leaves are all Grabbing wrinkled out. and yeah. dying and yeah. stuff. And so there's a definite sort of... You know, diminishing of, mm -hmm. of of both his physical prowess and also just a sort of I don't know. It's like it's like four seasons in a day. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, it's for like sure. He, he reaches and then it ends with a thunderstorm as well. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's fun to watch him kind of get cut down, and then yeah. and then it, it hits a point where you you feel bad for him, but but yeah. he starts out as like this handsome. Romanesque figure, tall yeah. and perfect yeah. muscles, living the good life. Yeah, with his rich friends. Yeah, 
And Burt Lancaster is charismatic, isn't he? Yeah. He's yeah. got this kind of... I don't know what to call it. It's like a likeable... Slightly stupid in a really likeable way. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And they play on that in earlier films like The Killers, where he's just this... You know, he's a boxer, but he's this kind of lovable dope and he's completely being played by people and he just doesn't quite see that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, directors have always kind of used Lancaster's kind of dopey charm mm-hmm. and yeah. the fact that he looks fantastic as well. Yeah. They've always used that in a very pointed way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was 52. He was 52 in that. When they made that film. Yeah, in wow. The, in The Swimmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of talk about how, his, uh, you know, how good he looked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of my age. <laughs> Maybe that's why I relate to it. I don't look anything like him, though. Well, it's, it's funny that that he, he he kind of almost sells like like his journey as like this epic like mountain climbing thing. Mm. But he's taking he's doing like a lap in a pool. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. A bit of a cross country job yeah. in between. That was another question I had. Is it what? It, what is that idea? What is it that gives... I mean, you mentioned that he realises they've had a pool put in and that's what yes. gives him the idea on that level. Yeah. But what what is this and why it is that important it. to him? I mean, it's it's a useful dramatic device because now yeah. it goes to these people and we learn different things about it. Yeah. But for him, what is it that, you know, we might yeah. have these ideas of, oh, I'm going to write a song, I'm going to do this, I'm going to yeah. do that, I'll write a play. But... Yeah. To to just kind of like I'm gonna swim through every pool in this It's the big question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Where does that come from? Well I kind of think that it's like because we, we realise at the end he doesn't live there anymore. That's yeah. not his home anymore. Yeah, yeah. Something happened two years ago, it turns out, because right. uh, the the couple at the swimming pool mentioned something about two years ago. So right, that's the right. first time we get a timeline right. of when this the unpleasantness or whatever it was occurred. Um so it's not his home. And Lucinda is gone, and the daughters are gone. Um, I think. I think it's just. I think it's just sparked by him. Him in his deluded state, he just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. He really wants to go home, and he just uses this as an excuse to get him across the valley from where he is at the at the first home mm-hmm. to to get home because he hasn't been there. It's also presumably a, yeah. for two years. It's also a childlike thing. Yes. It's very childlike to go, I'm going to go through my neighbor's yards. Right? Yes. That's only a child would think that's yeah, acceptable or I could get away with that because I'm so endearing. Yeah. And he, yeah. he does feel like he is endearing. That yes. Everyone likes him, just like this first group of people. Including the babysitter. Yeah. Which, which he makes that foolish sort of decision. Yeah, yeah. And there is that scene, I think, it, is it the seventh, seventh pool with the boy? Oh, the boy. Yeah, which I like that one. Scene. That's an interesting Yeah. Scene. Yeah. yeah. Because that had to be written mean? in. Yeah, that wasn't in the original story, I don't think. Or was there, it? In the original story, there is mention of a, of a dry swimming pool. Right. Um, actually, I can't remember if the boy's in the original story, but maybe you're right, maybe yeah. not. But that was, a, that was kind of a telling scene, I thought, because the, the thing I, I thought interesting about that scene was at the very end when he, he goes to leave the boy, but then the boy goes up to the diving... Mm-hmm. Um, what's it called? Diving board. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course... Ned rushes to him and grabs him. Right. Thinking, you know, don't do it. Right. You know, he thinks the boy's going to yeah, jump in and yeah. commit suicide or something. Right. And I think that's Ned projecting yeah, his own, for sure, his for own sure. state of mind. On. Yeah. Yeah, now you mention it, it is, but I, I just felt like it was this sudden kind of burst of this very paternal yes. side to Ned, his caring, yeah. Yeah. His caring side. Yeah. That's almost his kid's... 
we learn later on that his kids um his, <laughs> that was a beer that was a beer <laughs> his, his kids have turned yeah. into these wild out of control teenagers yeah. we learn at the public pool later yeah. on we don't know exactly what they've done but you know what i mean uh but but maybe he's sort of like trying to stop that boy from from doing something wild to to, to protect him yeah. to rein him in and that was kind of how i took that scene but now you mention it i see what you mean he, the the kid is fine right he's just playing yeah. near a yeah near a drop and he instantly yeah. thinks that's what i might do so i'm going to project that onto this boy. and after all it was ned who encouraged him right. to make believe swimming right. so he's right. making believe diving too but hmm. well i think you're right though john i think i think that scene gives us a, a little a sort of much needed positive look at ned for a moment mm. because you know we're building up this notion of him as you know not not being good to his friends being vindictive towards certain people and later on of course he had the affair with shirley abbott and then right. he's not paying his bills and yeah. you know cheating and all that sort of stuff mm. and even when he was cheating with shirley abbott that whole scene we learn a lot of information in that scene mm -hmm. about the the shitty things he did yeah um, so maybe that scene also does show us a positive light of him, his mm -hmm. paternal instinct. And he does seem to care about his daughters, doesn't he, throughout the movie? He definitely does, but you get that feeling that it's sort of too much, too little, too late, right. as the old song goes, right. that he's caring about them now because he, right. he didn't at this earlier point. Mm. Yeah. There's a good line in the original story. Can I? Yeah, yeah, go. Can I read it? I wrote mm -hmm. it down here. In the story, he says something like, um, "In the story, by the way, it's more about Ned making all these realizations himself mm -hmm. about himself, rather than us, the viewers, realizing them about him." Mm -hmm. um, was his memory failing, or had he so disciplined it in the repression of unpleasant facts that he had damaged his sense of the truth? Mm. And I think it's that uh, repression of unpleasant facts is where he begins the movie. You know, he, 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 he's in this dreamlike sort of childlike state of not remembering what happened, mm -hmm. perhaps or seemingly, mm -hmm. to Lucinda and to his daughters and his home and his business and stuff. Right. And then he can't really escape the reality when we get to the end. Yeah, that's right. Did, uh, did you have a favourite line or quote from the movie, John? Well, I, I forgot to do that part, but I do have a favourite little bit. Okay. And it's when he gets a lift with the driver and there's that very unpleasant but kind of unspoken kind of racial dynamic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And does the driver say to him... He's talking about the previous driver and he's, mm, he's confused the two. Right. And he says something like, oh, did he have a great sense of rhythm mm. as well? And kind of yes. implying, implying mm -hmm. it's racism and yes. the kind of racism yeah. of this whole suburban world. Yeah. Did you know that there were a bunch of reshoots on this film done by right. Sidney Pollack? Yes. And that character was originally... Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian from oh, the wow. world of Star Wars, <laughs> who I would have loved to see yeah, as that a been member neat, of the yeah. Star Wars generation. Uh, right. But but I think that that's a great scene. And actually, yeah. I was thinking on the way here, I don't know the timeline, but there's that Lenny Bruce routine where it's it's meant to be this record of how to relax your black friends at parties, mm -hmm. and he's inadvertently saying all this terrible 
right. you know, racist stuff while trying to appear right. not racist. And that scene just reminded me of that. I wondered if that's what they were kind of gesturing mm-hmm. to in that scene. I have mm-hmm. to look up the timeline and mention it on our next episode. Mm. Mm. That was a great scene. And very little was said in that scene, but just enough, you know? And, and the driver offered that because we've all got natural rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then when they depart, there's a, a moment where he could have said, because we all look alike. I don't know if you caught that uh, yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. say it. It has that feeling that's going that direction that's for right. sure. Yeah. Why did I think you were Steve, he said, yeah. As, he, yeah. as he leaves him. Yeah. That's the nudist, isn't it? That's the nudist's house. Yeah, Isn't maybe. It, the, the, the rich people. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes, and which brings to me some of my favorite lines in the movie, is the Joan Rivers scene, which mm. I was surprised to see Joan Rivers there. An understated performance from yeah, Joan Rivers. She did a great which I thought I would never, ever say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be really well done. So she has this moment where, I guess he's trying to flirt with her or something, and, and she says something like, you're no different than any other guy, right? Mm. And he goes, no. No, I'm a very special human being. Yeah. I'm noble and splendid. And he's like so serious. Yeah. And you're like, who the hell would say that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, I like, I like that part. He's like showing that real cracking, like where his ego's at yes. and that protective thing. Like, no, yes. no, I'm noble and splendid. I'm a noble, splendid person. Yeah. And he also has that same moment at the public pool when they're telling him, your girls thought you were a joke, you know? Yeah. And he goes, no, they love and respect me. They love and respect me. They respect me. They respect me. And he keeps repeating that. And so those are my two favorite moments, just seeing that mm. cracking and seeing the way Burt Lancaster was like playing with that. I thought mm. that was really fun to like show that I'm, I, no, no, I'm good. Noble yeah. and splendid. Yeah, that's, that's, he, he was of the elite. He was better yeah. than everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, my favorite, well, I've I got loads of favorite lines, but one that I picked to say tonight um, when he's talking with Shirley Abbott and she tells him how she spied on him one time and she said, I spied on you. He was at an event with Lucinda mm-hmm. and he, she says, you know, and you were smiling and shaking hands with everyone and looking so, you know, smiling and so happy and whatever. And she says, um, an hour before you were in bed with me. And then she says, I put that smile on your face, you hypocrite, <laughs> you damned hypocrite. I thought that was a great line. That was a good one. Time for the double bill. Mm. So we, we're coming to the section of the Clueless Critic where we choose a double bill. What movie would go good with this? Do you have one that you think would go good with this movie? Well, I thought I, I, I think there's a pretty obvious sort of choice. And when I, I, made, I so I've made my choice and I'll stick with it. But then I looked, in, looked into it a little bit afterwards and I found that... Um, Burt Lancaster made the exact same choice in a way. Oh, really? So my choice is... Um, the 1985 Volker Schlondorf movie of Death of a Salesman. Ah. Um, and apparently Burt Lancaster, Lancaster described this movie as um, Death of a Salesman in swimming trunks. Ah, I like that. Wow, that yeah. works really well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, can I tell you mine? Sure, John Riley. Just to add, I was watching this video on YouTube where uh, the actress Ileana Douglas was just talking about this film. It's some series that they do. I think it's called Trailers from Hell or something like that. And this, it turns out this is one of her favourite films. And she said that actually there's this 
these dark films that are set in Connecticut suburbs, that's actually a subgenre. Oh. She mentioned the Ice Storm, she mentioned the Stepford oh, right, right. Wives, oh. and a, a few other films that I didn't know. Mm, right. So I thought that's interesting. Huh. But I thought I would go a different way, right? Because I was trying to think, there's something about this film, like you said, it's play-like, mm. but to me it's almost, I don't know, sort of like mythic, like it's an odyssey or something. Mm. But it's, it's kind of... Uh, compartmentalize like a choose your own adventure book or a kind of computer game mm. how a computer game used to be in the 80s when i used to play them you know you mm. go to this level now you're going to the ice level now you're going yeah. to the fire level now right. you're going here um so i tried to think of something that was kind of doing that oh brother where art thou mm. it has the kind of mythic everyday kind of thing but eventually i settled on this right home alone Oh. It's a film. It's a film where the suburbs are kind of charged with this like mythic significance, isn't mm. it? And all right, they do a bit of work in Home Alone to to kind of explain how they're able to leave Kevin by mm. himself. But the crooks, like they're just these crooks, aren't they? Like they just sort of turn up. There's no attempt to ground them in mm. in reality. And and a lot of Home Alone just kind of has has that sense, mm. I think, of of just. This is the suburbs, but it's this strange place charged with mythical significance. Huh. So interesting. Maybe a lot of people are going to walk out of my double bill, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it. Huh. Would you lead with the swimmer or lead with alone? <laughs> I think I'll lead with this swimmer just to keep it chronological. I guess my double bill's pretty depressing, isn't it? The swimmer and the death of a salesman. Yeah. I, I didn't really think of it in those terms. I just tried to think of a film that I thought was... Uh, was uh, in, a, in a sort of ballpark, but... My double yeah. bill, I'm going with uh, Michael Douglas and Falling Down. Oh, oh yes. good choice. Falling Down, it feels, yes, it feels yes. like the same sort of thing. And it yeah. has that same thing, doesn't it, of a, a, a compartmentalised yeah. scene here and then a compartmentalised yeah. scene at the next one. And he's delusional, like he's yeah. not really going to work anymore, he's just pretending he is. For whose benefit is really weird, though, because like, he's just like driving in traffic every day. Pretending to go to work with like an apple in his briefcase, but yeah. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like an angry swimmer. The other thing I wanted to mention was uh, the guy who did the score, mm. Marvin Hamlish. Do you know this guy? Yeah, he did. Um, he did a few film soundtracks. Um, Sophie's Choice, I believe. I think he did a chorus line as well. Well, he's one of the EGOT people. The What's EGOT, M- Emmy, Gra- Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, uh-huh. Tony winners. Like, there's only like 18 people who've received, but he also won like a Peabody. So mm-hmm. he's got the PGOT. He's like even rarer. There's like only two people who got Peabody, <laughs> Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. So wow. he's, you know wow. who the other one is? I don't know who the other one is. Do you? <laughs> no, no, I don't. But let's do. Let's find let's out. Find out. Let's find out. Sure, sure. It was great music. Yeah. All the way through. It's, it is a wonderful soundtrack, I think. Yeah, I thought it was really good. It might have been his first one or something like I that. I so believe might... so, yeah. Yeah, so it was a good start for him, apparently. But um, He did know. The Sting in 1973. Uh, yeah, I was listening to some of his stuff before, and that's the first stuff that comes up is The Sting. I guess that's what he's most well-known for, because that's a, that's a soundtrack that grabs you. I feel mm. like you pay attention to the soundtrack, because mm. I don't know, is, is it something about the dissonance in a way? I don't know. Like, to me, it sticks out more. I didn't notice the soundtrack in The Swimmer, but mm. The Sting, you're hearing it all the time, I feel. It's got that entertainer well, feel to it or whatever. It's famous for having the Joplin, yeah, yeah, yeah. the entertainer all through it. Yeah. yeah. 
I notice the music in, in the, the swimmer, swimmer, but maybe yeah. I'm, I tune into those you, you're things a little, a little more bit. special in that regard. Um, the director, too, I'm interested in, Frank Perry. And you mentioned Sidney Pollock before. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he was brought in to finish off a few scenes at the end. Because I, I think from what I could read, there were disagreements between Frank Perry and the producer. Mm. And maybe with Burt Lancaster, too, a little bit of friction, I think. I read Burt Lancaster had a lot of power in terms of hiring and firing on this. Right. Yeah, I heard that John Rivers was pretty annoyed with her scene and Burt Lancaster wanting one thing and the director wanting something else. And yes. Joan being like, that doesn't seem at all what I should be doing right here. Yes. So. I think she got away in the end, though, didn't she? She, she, she did okay. Yeah, I feel. Because I think the director initially wanted it to be she was just a sort of happy-go-lucky sort of girl. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and Ned sort of tramples all over her type of thing. Right. But she wanted a slightly stronger yeah. personality. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Bert, Bert Lancaster wanted her to fawn over him more. Yes. And he, she's like, that doesn't make sense for this right. scene. And it doesn't, right? No. It doesn't make sense. No. So she was right in that way. Um, I've watched a couple... I got curious about Frank Perry because of this movie. Mm. And I did watch a couple more movies by him. Oh. Um, I watched a movie called Last Summer, which I really didn't like. Uh, um, and th- there was an 80s movie, which you might remember, called Rancho Deluxe. A sort of comedy with... Um, is it... Um, oh, the guy from... Uh, the Big Lebowski, the dude. Oh, Jeff Bridges. I think it might have been Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but there was a movie called Man on a Swing that was really kind of interesting mm. about a police detective who's trying to solve a, a murder and a... Um, a psychic gets involved and the psychic may or may not actually be helping him oh, to nice. solve the murder. Hmm. It's quite an interesting film. Oh. But he also did that movie Mummy Dearest. That's what I know him for. Yeah. Yes. Which I haven't seen yet and I've got it. I'm planning to look at it. I know it's about, is it Joan Crawford? Yes, yeah. It's, it's um, known for a very over-the-top performance from Faye Dunaway uh, um, and it, it sort of became this it's actually really traumatic, right? She's abusing Christina Crawford and hitting right. her and stuff like this. But it's so over the top that it became kind of funny to certain people. It became this sort of camp classic yeah. in the way that something like The Room mm. is. Or Showgirls more, more oh, recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Showgirls, yeah, right. Uh, but I, I haven't seen it for years, but I enjoyed Mummy Dearest. It's quite controversial too, because it may or may not be as true as... As, as it's made out to be. As and Christina Crawford the, said the it book, was, yeah. yeah. Mm. But so he did that. There's another movie called David and Lisa, which looks interesting. Mm. He's definitely a director I want to look into more. Mm. I wonder if maybe The Swimmer was his was his peak. Right. Or maybe Mummy Dearest, I don't know. I've, I mean, I've heard great things about David and Lisa. I've never seen it. Mm. Perhaps mm. one for another episode. All right. Yeah. Speak, yeah. Speaking of another episode, John, you get to choose next week's well, what movie will we be watching for next week? Well, Kevin, you were talking about soundtracks and films with excellent soundtracks. Right. So I've chosen the Japanese film House, which wow. has one of the best wow. soundtracks of all time. Wow. Wow. Okay. Including the future. What year is this? Uh, I believe 1977. 1977. Okay. So next week on The Clueless Critic, we will be doing House. 1977. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.